This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions. Because it's time to dish the dirt. On the AM740 Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Brought to you by Scott's. And good morning, it's uh, Franklin Proctor here, the sous chef of the garden, alongside the little gladiola of the uh, gardenia patch, I don't. Uh, And David Gaskin, our producer, all set to take your phone calls in for Charlie to answer any questions or if you have any suggestions. Mm -hmm. uh, Just a little touch of a word of warning, Uh, Patrolman Proctor here, ready to write a ticket if you try to get two calls in. No, the mantra is... Call early, call often, but one question per call, okay? And here's the phone number for Toronto area listeners, 416-360-0740. Anywhere else in the province, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. And Charlie Dobbin, you're away. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) Well, actually, you're here, and you're looking spiffy. Thank you very much. I, I... Happy to say you're looking quite spiffy well, thank, yourself. Thank you very much. <laughs> the the, okay. the best uh, undergardener out there. So listen, a couple of things for everybody to put in their calendars. There's a lot going on. Weather has been kind of crummy for being outside, yeah. and it is going to get nicer. The sun, they tell me, is going to come out later today and even the next few days. So some opportunities to get out, get, see some gardens. Mm-hmm. If you've got time and, and desire... Starting with my first announcement is today, 2 o'clock until 3.30. This is a little workshop going on. It's the basic how-tos of container gardening. And if you attend this workshop between 2 and 3.30 today, you'll bring home a new edible garden. It's all happening at 612, 612 Markham Street, so just south of Bloor, right across from Honest Ed's. It's, remember, it's never too late in the season or too small a space to grow herbs, tomatoes, other edibles on your balcony, windowsills, anywhere. No gardening experience necessary. All are welcome. So that's today. Today as well, the Pollinators Festival at the Evergreen Brickworks. Evergreen Brickworks is at 550 Bayview Avenue. Learn how to plant a pollinator-friendly garden, participate in a honey-tasting workshop, and contribute to the community art exhibit. It's an opportunity to learn what your parents never taught you about the birds and the bees. That's today at the Evergreen Brickworks. Tomorrow, this is where we start getting into the tours. Tomorrow is the Heart of Northumberland Garden Tour in aid of Northumberland Big Sisters and Big Brothers. Seven idyllic rural properties near Coburg. For more information, www.heartofnorthumberland.ca. One more for tomorrow. Visit the private gardens of Toronto's beach community. A hundred years ago, it was cottage country. Today, it's Toronto's laid-back beach neighbourhood along the lake in the city's east end. Seventeen private gardens in this nature-loving area will be open on the Beach Garden Society's annual garden tour from small intimate spaces to ravine-side surprises. You'll see some of the best-kept green spaces in town. 
Flowers, trees, lake breezes, music, free refreshments, all for just $10 oh, a ticket. Oh, hey, already. From 1 to 5 tomorrow. For more information, uh, Sonia's in charge. So you'd have to call Sonia, 416-698-9449. One more for tomorrow, and I know you found one as well. Yes. So let me just do my last yes, one, yes, and then yes. you can jump in with yours. Okay. This is tomorrow <laughs> as well, 10 until 4. <clears throat> Excuse me. The volunteers of the Carpenter Hospice in Burlington are presenting a garden tour. Tickets, $10 each. That seems to be a pretty mm-hmm. pretty standard amount. 10 bucks each can be purchased at the Holland Park Garden Gallery and at Cudmore's Garden Center. I uh, was reading about a really, I think, interesting tour, both today and tomorrow. Interesting, because you're really not a garden guy. No, so but uh, I think the ambiance of going over and taking part in the ninth Toronto Islands Garden Tour, mm-hmm. it's uh, on today and tomorrow from noon to 5. Uh, 20 or more private gardens are open with gardeners on hand to answer questions. And what you do is take the Wars Island Ferry from the foot of Bay Street. It departs on the hour and half hour. And then get tickets and maps from the White Gazebo when you arrive on the island or pick them up at the ferry. And all the funds raised uh, will uh, uh, help the public la- uh, landscaping projects on the islands. That's it's fun. Yeah. They, they, there's some pretty neat gardens. And it's not easy to garden on Toronto Island because oh, everything really? yeah. is brought over by hand. Oh, of course. I never thought so that. you need yeah. a bag of dirt. you got to go <laughs> to the mainland, get a bag yeah, of dirt. Yeah, you haven't got a dirt store over there, no. No, you don't yeah. have it. So everything, and, you know, even like, say you want to put in a patio. Yeah. So every day on your way home from work, you bring one brick at a time, oh, and eventually man. you have enough there, and, and you uh, build your patio. Never thought about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. it's quite a deal. It's, uh, gardening there is not easy. <laughs> okay. Well, the Charlie Dobbin Garden Show is underway, and we'll be along to have a word with our first caller, Laura, in just a moment after these words on AM 740. You supply the what and where and she'll come through with the how. You're listening to the AM 740 Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, brought to you by Scott's. It's 9.15 here on a Saturday morning, a little cloudy, but nonetheless a good day to get out in the garden and do some work. Particularly after all that rain. <clears throat> yeah. My gosh, the weeds are coming up like crazy. Absolutely. <clears throat> oh, pardon me. Um, Laura is on the line from Aris, Ontario. Hi, Laura. Good morning. Good morning, Frank and Charlie. Morning. I've been waiting 15 minutes to get on with you. <laughs> Last week I waited a whole hour and I couldn't get through. Oh, no. my gosh. Yeah, Charlie, the question I want to ask is you mentioned something about Epsom salts with mm-hmm. tomato plants. Yes. And I don't know how to do it, how much to put in or what. what. Well, I'll tell you, I, I have quickly just Googled and, and gone to the Epsom Salt Council. Uh, where they have a great website, so the Epsom Salt Council.org. Under garden usage, under tomatoes, the recommendation from the council is one tablespoon of Epsom salt per foot of plant height per plant. Okay, so you've got three foot tomato plants right now. That'd be two tablespoons, sorry, yeah, one. So it'd be three tablespoons per foot, or sorry, one per foot, so three per plant, if they were three feet tall, every two weeks. And what do you do? Just sprinkle it yep. around the plant on the ground? Exactly. Sprinkle around the plant. You don't want to get it on the leaves or on the stems. So right on the soil, just, you know, uh, very evenly spread it around. You might be going out a full six, eight, ten inches from the stem, just mm-hmm. an even spread. 
like I say, uh, my and that'll pic- sink down into the earth with the rain and so exactly, forth. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Okay. It'll all become very what does soluble. It do? What does Epsom salt actually do? Magnesium and sulfur. It's magnesium sulfate. Magnesium both and sulfur are what Epsom oh, salts yeah. are made out of, and both magnesium and sulfur are absolutely required uh, nutrients for our for any plants. And uh, yeah, Epsom salts are quite magical when it comes to to the garden. Well, you don't have to work it in. You just nope. Sprinkle it on and... Every two weeks. Sprinkle it on. One tablespoon per foot of plant height mm-hmm. per plant every two weeks. Every two weeks. Good stuff. Okie doke. Okay. Thanks okay. very much, Charlie. You're very welcome. Thanks yeah, for calling. We all learned something there, Laura, from Charlie. How about that, huh? 916 uh, on AM 740 as we go to our next caller. And uh, Ennis from uh, Scarborough. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I won't talk much. <laughs> um I want to ask about daffodils. Mm -hmm. I do have to relocate them. Mm -hmm. And uh, do I let them dry out and plant them in the fall, or can I just transplant them right now? You could do either. Whichever one works better with your, you know, sort of time frame. Mm -hmm. If you transplant them now, because right now they've still got green leaves sticking up, right? Yeah, I know where they are. Yeah, which is great, because exactly, you know where they are. So one way or the other, you have to dig them up, it sounds like. For some people, they find it just more convenient to dry them out. Of course, drying them out just means laying them out on some newspapers, Mm -hmm. undercover. Uh, Eventually, all the green leaves will turn brown. You just kind of clean them up. And then, exactly, in the fall, on a nice sunny day, get outside and get them back in the ground. Mm -hmm. Um, But for some of us, it's just more convenient to do it now. It depends. Like if you've got, say, annual flowers out there now, you sure don't want to go in under those. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. that's why, for many of us, it's it's better to just hold the daffs, <clears throat> wait until the fall. We've got the space available to plant them. Yeah. And remember, they want a well-drained location in oh, your garden. Yes. Oh yes. Because uh, that can be another issue for pl- if we're watering our impatience all the time. There's the daffodils underneath the impatience, and they tend to get soggy, and yeah. they can rot if it's too damp. Kept yeah. or kept too damp. So yeah. for your purposes, it might just be best to pull them, dry them, and pop them back in in the fall. Okay. All right. And I don't know if you remember, but last spring or last summer, mm-hmm. I phoned you because my ornamental garlic didn't flower at all. Mm-hmm. So, did, so didn't the um, Spanish bluebells. Mm-hmm. But this year, they went crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Funny, eh? <laughs> so is that normal? or? Yes, it is. The, you know, we wish that our plants could be nice and consistent and do, you know, be there for us every single season. Mm-hmm. But they often aren't. There's, you know, some years are big flowering years and, you know, big fruiting years. Yeah, and then I had them not. flowering year after year after year. Yeah. But then last year... Nothing. Nothing. But they stayed alive, and yeah. you, you looked after them. You didn't give up. You gave yeah. them another chance. Yeah, and I they, told you. They went crazy this year. They came through <laughs> this year. So yeah. it's funny how that works. Yeah, which, that's yeah. the thing about gardening. Be patient. Never give up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. yeah. well, okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> Good Thank to you. hear. Bye. Thanks and for calling. And congratulations on the success in the garden. It's uh, coming around to 919 here, and uh, we'll get to Karen, who's calling in from Scarborough in just a moment. I just wanted to uh, remind folks that uh, we've got a couple of lines open right now 416-360-0740 that's in toronto and then anywhere else in the province toll free 1-866-740-4740 
And uh, are you limbering up, my friend? Well, it's funny you mentioned that because I saw you dashing into the studio yes. a little bit late today. Oh, I, I forgot to set my alarm, and I woke up. You know what that feeling is like? Oh, wake panic. Up start. Yeah, I ran around the bed. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm late, I'm late, I'm late. Yeah. Well, when you told me that story, I laughed. I go, well, good thing you take Sears. So <laughs> exactly. You were able to leap out of bed, <laughs> throw your clothes on, and race into the station in plenty of time. Yeah, so, exactly. Because usually you're here like hours before me. Yeah. Both Frank and I take a, a supplement. It is a very natural, completely natural mineral supplement, which keeps us limber and able to race <laughs> places when we're late. I'm often late, Frank, not so often, but nevertheless, we can still move when we need to. And that is, I think, partially because we, we're staying active, we're staying pain-free, and Sierra Sil is helping us do that. For more information, give them a call. They're in Vancouver. Happy to hear from you. Uh, the number's one eight seven seven joint 14 Friends say she's down to earth, and that's usually where you'll find her. Welcome back to the AM740 Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, brought to you by Scott's. And I'm the sous chef, Frank Proctor, uh, alongside Charlie here on this Saturday morning, saying hi this time around to Karen in Scarborough. Hello, Karen. Good morning, Officer Frank and Charlie. <laughs> morning. How are you? Great. Good. Um, I enjoy the show very much, and I've learned a lot. So Great. I just wanted to say that up front. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Several years ago, my aunt gave me uh, some lily bulbs, mm -hmm. and I've planted them, and they've grown beautifully. Mm -hmm. That was until last year. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I noticed that something was eating the leaves. Right. So I went on plant investigation mm -hmm. to see what I could find out, mm -hmm. and I found a little red bug. Yep. Um, now, it hasn't bothered any of the other plants. It just seems to be bothering the lilies. You're, that's absolutely correct. It's called the lily leaf beetle. Okay. And it will, it generally only eats lilies, but it will also chew on. Um, Fritillaria, if you had any fritillaria in your garden. Uh, and sometimes I've heard that they'll even chew on Solomon seal. But the main source of food is the lily by far. And the red beetle that you're seeing is chewing and causing all kinds of havoc on your lilies. But even the baby form of that adult beetle, which is an ugly looking you know, sort of maggoty-looking larva is also chewing on your on your lilies. So, uh, and there is no. You, were, I'm assuming, calling because you want to eradicate this insect. Yes, because I I think it's a beautiful lily. Mm. It, it just it has such a beautiful scent, and it's just such an unusual color that I really wanted to try and save it if I could. The yeah. trouble, yeah, it, yeah, it's a hard one. The problem with the lily leaf beetle is there's no pesticide to kill it. Oh, okay. uh, you can just like sort of stay right on top of this twice a day, go out there, look for the insect, pick them off. Okay. When the larva is on the lilies, which is, I first saw some in my garden about two, three weeks ago, uh -huh. and I was just showing Frank a, a picture here on the web. Man, they're ugly little devils. Yeah, well, yeah. he wasn't pretty. <laughs> no. Well, the, the adults are kind of pretty because they're bright red, yeah. but the larvae are very sneaky because what they do is they cover their bodies in their own excrement. So it just looks like a blob of poop on the lily leaves. Oh. And, of course, so the birds just pay no attention, but underneath that blob of poop is a little insect that's chewing the plant. So they're they're pretty wily little creatures. Can you, uh, this is on the underside of the uh, No, they're going to be right on the uh, surface, on the, on the on surface. top. Can yeah. you wipe them off? Or? Well, one thing that pe some people have had good experience with is neem oil, so N-E-E-M 
oil. Mm-hmm. Uh, you will find that for sale in any good garden center. It's not sold as a pesticide. It's not registered as a pesticide. It is registered as a plant shine, uh, but it also has some, some insecticidal properties. So follow the instructions on neem oil. You will knock some of them down. The other thing is go out and literally pick them off. Now, the red beetles, as soon as you touch one, all the rest of them drop to the ground, and they drop backside uh, down and belly up, and their bellies are not red. Their bellies are the same color as the soil, oh, so you don't clever. see them when when they all drop down. I know, very clever. So another idea is lay have some a couple pieces of newspaper with you or white pieces of paper when you go out. Lay the paper down really carefully first. Grab one of the adults, squish it right away. It'll make an interesting little chirping sound, and then uh, when the rest all drop, you'll still be able to see them because they're on that. They'll drop onto the paper. Oh, okay. And then you can quickly squish those guys as well. Hey, that's good. Yeah, oh, I know. Plans for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> but it is ongoing. That's the problem. Okay. The other thing is maybe for the long term, your lily, if you really want to keep it alive, remember the lily leaf beetle overwinters in the soil yeah. and emerges in the spring. So something that may help would be ultimately perhaps digging up that bulb and either like putting it in a pot okay. so that you've got it in a in a fresh soil every spring kind mm-hmm. of thing uh, I know it's gonna be, you'd have to kind of think through how you can keep that so that to try and avoid the lily leaf beetles discovering the lily and and just have it separate and safe so even perhaps a different place in the garden yes until they find it yeah well <laughs> That's let's the hope problem. Yeah. Let's hope they won't be that bright. <laughs> uh, and was it, um, you did say neem oil, and like Norman, E-E-M? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so, and try that as well. Like you say, I've, I've heard people say they've had pretty good success with that, but you spray more than once. Okay. Okay? That's wonderful. Well, thank you so good very much. Luck, I really Karen. appreciate it. All righty. Thanks for calling. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye Bye. now, and thank you. Um, th- that's interesting. Mother Nature uh, providing these little devils with that clever little move of flipping upside I down know. so their bellies are the same color as the ground. I know. Wow. Well, I th- and again, that's they've <clears throat> evolved. Yeah. And it's mostly birds that are, are going to do the most, you know, eating of those kinds kind of bugs right. and because you can't miss them they're bright red against the green lily they're just well lasting you know what a weekend ahead for karen there bug squishing <laughs> weekend Mm-mm. yum yum <laughs> sandy from <laughs> toronto is on the line good morning sandy good morning morning uh then um that charlie i have this problem with a palm tree that i have mm-hmm. and at the bottom of the soil in about the last three months it's i'm getting these yellow mushrooms mm. And I'm scared my cat is going to eat them. No, I doubt your cat would eat them, but it does tell you something. Mushrooms are fungus. Fungus grows on decomposing organic material. What that tells me is that there are uh, some things decomposing under the soil. Probably. Like I have two palm trees, uh-huh. and the other one is perfectly normal. Okay. The other one is Crete. Like I said, but the last three months, I've had these mushrooms, mm-hmm. these yellow, bright yellow mushrooms, and they're, they're terrible. Yeah, no, I know. You hate to see that. Now, your timing, though, for something like that is good, because keep in mind, this is the perfect time to be repotting that palm, and that's exactly what I would do. Is it a monster big plant? or? Um, it, it's fairly big, yes. Because, uh, you know, it's one of the, um, if you can take it outside, that would be ideal. But if you can't take it outside, then just lay out a bunch of newspaper, lay the whole plant on its side, 
get that pot off. And then I would really spend some time removing and with your fingers, working the soil and the roots apart so that you can really see what's going on in, in underneath the, the, the soil surface there. Of course, you'll have a fresh package of, of potting soil ready to go. And you may want to just go right back into that same pot, just give it a scrub. And then I would eliminate or, or you know, send out into the composter the old potting soil with the, and, the, and have some scissors handy, trim off any roots that are brown or black or smell stagnant. I mean, anything that smells kind of swampy, cut it off, remove it, only leave white or ivory-colored roots and, and parts behind but back you know, into Shirley, the soil. I, I noticed that some of the leaves turn very dark, mm-hmm. like almost black. Right, which again is something's going on there. Like there's some, it sounds to me like, is it possible that that plant could have been sitting in water longer than the other one? Uh, No, because I usually water them around the same time. And they're in the same size pot? Uh, Yes. And they get pretty much the same sunlight, et cetera? Yes. Yeah, well, um, you know, hard to say for sure. I I almost wanted to buy weed begun to put in them. (laughs) Uh, No, don't. That won't do anything. It'll just hurt the palm. The, um... I mean, it could be cold, like it could have started something back, like a cold draft. Palms are quite sensitive to temperature, and black often does indicate, well, it's death, it's tissue death, but why does the tissue die? It can be anything from some extreme to, you know, burning hot to super cold can cause blackening of of palm tissue. Okay, well, I've had this about two, maybe three years now. Mm -hmm. And it just started, like I said, yeah. in the last several months. Well, so it's, like I say, something's happened that, and it, but it's not by no means, you know, should you have to lose the plant. It's really just going to be a case of get down to the root of the matter, so to speak, you know, clear I away. I don't want to throw it out. No, exactly. So clear away all the black foliage, clear away any black or, or yucky looking roots and get it all freshly potted up again get it in lots of sun, thorough watering, and then wait 10 days or two weeks or so and then fertilize it after that. Yeah, because I just don't want to throw this no, plant out. No, you shouldn't have you know, to. Charlie, it's beautiful. No, and mushrooms are odd. When you start getting, <laughs> I've had that happen actually on plants, and you know what's going on. The mushrooms are growing on decomposing probably roots below the surface. Oh, I got these things, like all of a sudden you pull them out. <laughs> they're like aliens. Within days. These things are huge, and they're back. Uh, I know. Well, mushrooms are the fruit. What we see is is just really the 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 fruiting bodies. There's lots going on underneath there that's much that's invisible to the eye. So that's why getting rid of the soil would be great. Okay. Okay. Thank thank you, Sandy, Sandy, for the question. Good luck with all that. Okay. Thank you so much. All righty. A reminder of those phone numbers here to reach Charlie Dobbin here at AM Seven Forties Garden Show four one six three six zero zero seven forty in Toronto and anywhere else in the province. Toll free one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. Frank Proctor along for the ride here as we say hi to Jim in Oakville. Good morning. Hi, Jim. Oh, it's Ken. Oh, okay. Cannon Oakville. Cannon Oakville. Hi, Cannon Oakville. Okay. <laughs> Sorry for the hesitation. <laughs> That's all right. I got a, I got a pear tree. I got a cherry tree, and I got a plum tree. Mm-hmm. My pear tree has these orange spots on the leaves that look like they're inside the leaf, sort of thing. But mm-hmm. when you squeeze them, you get an orange liquid. It's a rust disease. Yeah. And my cherry tree 
<sighs> I bet you I've got a half a dozen cherries left, and all the rest of the cherries have shriveled up. Even the pit has shriveled up to the size of a pinhead, mm. and they're just left hanging there on the stem. Now, the ones that are slowly deteriorating have a brown fuzz on them, mm-hmm. and that's the same brown fuzz that I'm getting on my plum tree. I got a full-size plum. And overnight, it'll form this brown fuzz, and then within two, three days, all it is left is a pit. Mm. And then also on my plum tree, I've got this brown, hard brown, looks like fecal matter on the on the branches. I keep cutting that off, but I'm running out of tree to cut. <laughs> <laughs> you, okay, so don't don't feel bad. I know you're sounding quite frustrated here. Don't feel bad with the amount of rain and humidity that we've had this short season so far. This is definitely the year of the fungus. So do you know? Don't sort of blame yourself. It sounds to me like you've got something called brown rot going on, which brown rot is sort of the common name. It is something that uh, is um, destructive of any of the stone fruits. So, of course, that would include cherries and plums, as well as any of their, their relatives. It's caused by a fungus that overwinters on infected plant parts. In the spring, during wet weather, masses of spores are produced that can infect the blossoms and young shoots. The disease continues uh, as long as we're having wet periods all through the spring. So what are you going to do, right? Sanitation. It's all about sanitation. So you're going to remove and destroy all infected twigs and branches. You're also going to remove all rotted fruit. So anything that drops to the ground has to be raked up and bagged and removed from the property. With any fungal diseases, it really is typically all about hygiene and sanitation. Um, as Now, you can't do anything about any wild or neglected fruit trees in your neighborhood, but keep in mind that could be the source of spores. If you've got neighbors that have unkempt cherries or plums uh, or ravines nearby or any of that, more, uh, you can certainly get reinfected in the future uh, from other, other plants. And, of course, the other thing is avoid wounding. See, we've got to prune, but you don't want to prune when it's wet. So you want to wait till a dry day, do your pruning. Remember to dip your pruners into a mixture of alcohol, rubbing alcohol and water or bleach and water, because you want to try and avoid spreading that infection any more than, than it already is. Hmm. Okay. okay. So I'll just keep on cutting until I run out of tree. <laughs> well, I know. At some point, you got to stop cutting. There's yeah. no question. Um, well, I'm down to the root now. Is that, yeah. <laughs> when the stem is left with no branches. I know. It's it's super tough. I know. There, there. Remember as well, though, there is something out there. It's your the only fungicides you're going to find are sulfur based. Okay? okay, the one that I would recommend for your problem is called Bordeaux. B O R D O. It is a copper sulfate mixture. It is a powder when you buy it. You mix it with water and you spray. It's the original fungicide that was used to control all the mildews on grapes in the Bordeaux grape growing regions of France. You know, 200 years ago they figured that one out, that copper sulfate would control the fungus. Now it's a, you're preventing the spread of the fungus. It's, it, the trick with fungus, any fungus is it's very hard to eliminate it once it starts to grow on your plant. The weather is perfect for fungal growth, so you're fighting, you know, Mother Nature on that one. The best we can ever do is we try and prevent fungal diseases. Once they start, we try to prevent the spread. It's impossible to eradicate, but it's you can control the spread. 
Okay. Well, what about my orange spot on my plum or my pear tree? That those orange on the those little orange dots are is a rust, and that again is very much has been brought on by this very wet spring. Some years are worse than others when it comes to to pear rusts, and we see it even on the ornamental pears. So that's going to have an impact on sort of the the ornamental value of these plants. It'll have some impact on what they look like in the fall because many of the ornamental pears turn brilliant oranges and reds in the fall, but of course they're going to have orange spots all over their, you know, red leaves. And the leaves will all drop, and as part of our good garden hygiene, we're going to make sure we rake up all those leaves because that's a source of the fungus for next year. So it's not going to affect the, the fruit at all? It shouldn't. All no, shouldn't affect the fruit at all. Oh, so I'll get part of my crop. Then. Yeah, good. yeah, but do do get a hold of, um, like I say, a fungicide. Read the instructions carefully. As soon as we get a dry day, do whatever pruning you can and and spray as you can based on the weather to try and control the spread of the fungus. Beautiful. I thank All you ever right. so much. You're That's very welcome. Good Bordeaux luck with that. B o r d o. That's said? right. Bordeaux. B o r d o. <laughs> thank you, Ken. Okay, thank you. Hopefully, Charlie's advice is going to pay off there. <laughs> sure, it will. <laughs> Hoping I get some fruit anyway. Yeah. I'll, well, this I'll try and beat the birds to them. You know. I know this may not be the year of a lot of fruit for some of us because of the weather. Don't worry. Next year's a whole new opportunity. Well, that's what I said last year. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank Our, you very much. Thank you. Our darling of the daisies, Charlie, is all ready to talk to Joan in Georgetown. Good morning, Joan. Hello. Good morning. Hello. Hi there. Hi. Yeah, last week I was listening to you talking about pruning back a lilac tree, mm-hmm. uh, which I was all ready to go. Mine's the late variety with very pale pink mm, flowers. Nice. Um, there's still two or three coming out, but okay. the others are all dead. Yep. Uh, and I was really set to go to town on the pruning, but I find I've got cardinals nesting in the bush. How so there goes the pruning right now. <laughs> You're absolutely and right. I wondered how long, you know, I can leave it before I prune it back. The sooner the better. So keep an eye on the cardinals. Are they uh, they're sitting on the nest right now or are the babies hatched? Well, the bush is so big and huge I can't see in. Uh, you know, nest. I can just see them in and Aww. out. Oh, that's so sweet. All right, well keep an eye because you know cardinals both mummy and daddy do look after the babies. Yep. Oh, there's one coming now. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only bird whistle I do. <laughs> oh, Frank is just so multi-talented. Oh, I know. <laughs> um, I, yes. I, I can take it back about one third. Yes, yes. Yeah. But just wait till the till the babies have flown flown yeah. the coop, so to speak, and then <laughs> go to town. Up, okay. up to one third. Okay, thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thanks for your story. I love Thanks, that. Thanks, Joan. Thank yeah. you. Bye. Yeah, it is true. It's the only bird whistle I do is the cardinal. I, I, I love, I love listening. I know. Yeah. I love cardinals. Wait, just, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> you're going to say, oh, we need to go to a break. So, okay, we can go to a break, but I want to quickly share an email with you from Ed Shepard. Uh, he said, this is from last week. He said, I've been meaning to email, uh, but time just, where does it go? He, we, we were talking about open rain barrels a few yeah. weeks ago. Mm. And people were talking about, you know, what do I do about mosquitoes or open bodies of water, you mm-hmm. know, reservoirs, sloughs, ponds. So he was just saying he used to have a fully open rain barrel. So he used to put netting over it just, I guess, to, so like, you know, squirrels and birds wouldn't fall into it. But he also used to float 
plain bubble wrap on the surface to prevent the mosquito larva from being Getting able to emerge. Water, yeah. yeah, so they might the eggs could have gotten laid, but of course they couldn't get out because of lack of oxygen getting down into the water. They would eventually suffocate, was his theory. Floating bubble wrap. I thought that was kind of an interesting idea. And so I just wanted to share that with you because that was a question that came up and we were talking about those donut yeah. gizmos. So bubble wrap. There you are. Worked red. Okay. <laughs> um, phone numbers four one six three six zero zero seven forty, and anywhere else in the province, toll free one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. We'll be back after these words to Dr. Charlie Dobbin on AM seven forty. There are hundreds of sources for tips on gardening, but you need only one. The AM seven forty Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin continues. Brought to you by Scotts. <laughs> And a good morning to you, 944. Charlie and I just giggling away in here, having a happy morning, which is the way it should be. Of course. I am 740, right? A happy Troika. Yes. David, Charlie, and Frankie. Yeah. (laughs) Mary in Brampton, join the club here. How are you this morning? Good morning, Charlie. Good morning, Frank. Good morning. I enjoy your program. In fact, I define my Saturday morning by your program. <laughs> Great. That's good to hear. Yeah, question. Uh, I'm looking at my amaryllis that has one large green stalk, mm-hmm. leaf. doesn't want to die. <laughs> Can I cut it off? Uh, Is it just aggravating me? Was this one that bloomed back at Christmas? Exactly. Okay, and so you've been caring for it as a houseplant since then. You've watered, you've left it out in the sun. I stopped watering it about um, at least six weeks ago, but this, this <laughs> one leaf just keeps staring at me. It's, it's just doing that to bug you, I think. I think. You could just put it in the dark if you wish to. You, bottom line is, there's two ways to deal with amaryllis. And since you've stopped watering it, you've chosen the route of forcing it into dormancy, right. allowing it to just go quiet and have a rest, and then you'll bring it out uh, at the end of the summer. So just give it dark and no water. That leaf will die. All right, but so don't cut it off. Leave the leaf? Let it shrivel up on its own. Okay. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's looking at it, and it looks like, you know, December. Tantalizing you. One huge leaf. Okay. I know. I always feel sorry for them at that point, and then I go water them again. It's so hard to, to <laughs> yeah. I, I have a hard time forcing them to go dormant when they don't want to. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It doesn't. Okay. Love your show. Thanks for calling. Thank you, Barry. Okay, bye. And uh, let's uh, say hi to Phyllis, who's calling in from Alliston, here to Charlie Dobbins Garden Show. Good morning. Good morning, Frank. Good morning, Charlie. Morning. I'm calling about my uh, flowering crab tree. Mm-hmm. Now, the leaves are prematurely falling off. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's normal. It, they're like an orange with uh, black dots on it. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Well, you know what you have? It, this kind of goes back to when I was talking to Ken a few minutes ago. He's growing... In his case, cherries and uh, right, plums, etc. Yeah. Well, of course, your crab apple is a is a prunus. It's a form of a fruit tree. Right. And it, this year, just as I had said to him, this is kind of the year of the fungus. Right. You have a fungal disease on the surf on the leaves. The okay. leaves are dropping early. Okay. Uh, it's, dep- it's a very old tree. I think so. I've only been here for seven years, so mm-hmm. I don't know how. But it's it a is, big tree. It's it's obviously been there for a number of years, I probably. assume. Yeah, okay. And it flowered beautifully, probably. It had beautiful pink flowers on it. Okay. And now the leaves are all infected, and now the leaves are dropping. So just like I said to him, 
it's going to come down to sanitation. You've got to remember, rake up those leaves as they're dropping, bag them, send them off the property. You don't want to keep them on the property or compost them thoroughly so that you want to annihilate the fungal spores that are on those leaves. At this point, there's not a lot you can do. Um, You wouldn't usually bother spraying a crab apple the way we we do spray our fruit trees because it's so important to get, you know, good quality fruit for right. our consumption whereas crab apples, we it's much more of an ornamental thing. <clears throat> Excuse okay. me, the crab apples if they survive and and ripen, the birds will take them and that's great. You know, we're happy to do that. And I'm one thing I neglected to mention to Ken and I will if he's still listening, hopefully we'll hear this and this is important for you as well. Dormant spray in the spring is very important when it comes to our fruit trees and our crab apples and our roses and any of our plants that are susceptible to fungal diseases. The dormant spray is sold as it's called dormant kit. It's okay. an oil. It's a, usually a bottle of oil, horticultural oil, and a okay. bottle of lime sulfur. Okay. And it's a mix, the oil, the lime sulfur, some water, and it's a thorough spraying when the plants are dormant. So we do our pruning, you know, pruning for health and shape in March. Okay. We spray weather dependent, usually in April with the dormant spray. And then after that, we usually leave them alone in the case of crab apples. We leave the trees alone in the case of edible fruits. Uh, weather dependent, we spray, though we never spray when the plants are blooming. When, when, when fruit trees are in blossom, there's no spraying allowed. Okay. Yeah, there's a bee law. The Bee Act. The Bee Act. Yeah, I never knew about that. Yeah, the bees are protected. We do not spray any flowering fruit trees because the bees are busily in those flowers pollinating. I have a lot of those this year. Yeah, exactly. Well, good. That's good to hear. You know, the more bees, the better, honestly. Yeah, exactly. Be happy for the bees and don't kill them. But it's a fungal disease that you've got. So good garden hygiene, spray with the dormant spray in the spring. I can buy that at a nursery? Yep. Any good garden center will have it. They should have it now if they don't. Uh, they may get some in the fall because it's, never, it's not a bad idea if you've really had some fungal problems to consider spraying both fall and spring. When okay. the Where trees, do I spray it? Like the whole tree? The whole tree. The stems. Right from the top to the bottom? That's right. And there'll be oh no boy. leaves on it at that point. So you're basically just you're spraying the structure. You're spraying the branches, the bark. Okay. Okay, and you're going to annihilate fungal spores and insect eggs all at the same time. Okay. All right. Good Sounds stuff. Right, okay. okay, Phyllis. Thanks, Thanks okay, for your call. Thank you very much. Take care of things in Alliston for us, okay? And it's uh, 9.50 here at AM 740, and time to get out our little exercise mats here. Wait, i got to get down here. <laughs> okay, now I'm doing my stretches here. Oh, oh yeah. yes, indeed. Oh, that Frank, man. That Look at him so go. You should see him. He's got, like, lycra. Shorts on, <laughs> sparkly. <laughs> oh, wait. I must turn around. Oh, there we are. Oh, yes. Firm right. buttocks. <laughs> we're, we're being very silly. Okay. This is all connected to us being silly because we use Sierra Sil so we can keep our exercising and look good in Lycra. Well, of course. <laughs> well, staying limber, staying pain-free. If you have any arthritic or rheumatoid uh, sore joints, whether it's hands or elbows or, you know, knees or hips, Sierra Sil can help. And I don't think there's any side effect like, you know, making you go in insane like we are. Uh, no, 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 don't no. worry. You'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, we've got something else special going on. It's got nothing to do with the Sierra Sil. But a product that both of us have had good experience with and recommend you try if you have any joint pain. For more information, give them a call. one 877 joint 14 
supply the what and where, and she'll come through with the how. You're listening to the AM740 Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, brought to you by Scott's. Frank Proctor strapping in my skis, going up to uh, ski country there, calling wood, <laughs> saying hi to Don. Good morning, Don. Good morning, Charlie and Frank. Uh, I'd like to talk, if I could, for a couple of minutes about rhododendron. Sure, I'd love to hear. I was down uh, in New York State about five or six years ago with my son uh, in an area just south of uh, Lake Erie, and I saw some huge rhododendrons that may have been like 12, 15 feet high. Mm-hmm. Maybe they were many years old, but they look so healthy. We've been trying to grow them in Collingwood now for a few years, and, you know, modest growth at best. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you recommend pruning them, uh, like maybe after the flowers have, have finished? Uh, not usually, because just as you say, they grow so slowly. We tend to cherish every leaf that grows on our rhododendrons and, and not want to prune any away for fear of just causing the plant to get smaller and smaller rather than bigger and bigger. And uh, is there a particular type of rhododendron that would be best suited for the Collingwood area, do you think? Yeah. Yeah, the one I would definitely recommend for your area and anywhere sort of north of Toronto is one called, it's the initials PJM. Okay. So PJM, and the new, that PJM rhododendron has been around for quite a number of years. There's an even improved version of that called PJM Elite. What's okay. nice about it is that the leaves are a little bit smaller than the traditional rhododendron, so they tend to be able to withstand the cold and the wind in the winter a little better than the big-leaved varieties. They're hardy to zone four. They flower very, very um, consistently, bright, cheerful, you know, sort of fuchsia-colored blooms, so they're gorgeous in the spring. Um, the, our biggest, the hardest thing for us in Ontario is that our soil is limestone-based, and rhododendrons want a peat-based soil. So before you plant any rhododendrons, get some peat moss, mix that into your soil, amend the soil with the peat moss, plant the rhodos in a nice spot where they'll get dappled sun but not hot afternoon sun, and remember to fertilize. Now is the time to be fertilizing with rhododendron food. Okay, and uh, Charlie, in terms of the growing zones in Ontario for growing rhododendrons or anything for that matter, um, what is considered the most generous or the most temperate zone? Would it be around the Niagara area or down around Leamington? Um, all the whole bottom end there of, of um, Ontario is the fruit belt for just that reason, because they have the gentlest. They have. It's the wa- It's because of the lakes, right? The Great right. Lakes temper the extremes. So summers tend to be cooler down there than where you are in Collingwood and warmer in the winter because of the lake. Where I am in Richmond Hill, I have less water close by. And of course, you've got a big lake nearby as well, which you, the closer you are to the lake, the more gentle your, your summers and winters are. So you may have a microclimate in your yard in Collingwood, which is comparable to where I'm living in Richmond Hill, uh, even though you're you know, 200 kilometers north. Okay, so like down around Leamington, but the rhododendrons do much better down there? Uh, they, they, ha- they have more choice of variety they can grow, but again, their soil is not optimal for rhododendrons. The best you'll ever see in Canada is out in British Columbia. I mean, there's hedges, huge, huge rhodos out there. I mean, eight, nine, ten feet tall. And you go, oh my gosh, that's how they're supposed to grow. Because they've yeah. got the right soil, and they've got the right climate. You know, they've got the, the high humidity, the mild winters, and the peat-based soil. And do they do better? We have them growing amongst some uh, some spruce trees. Mm-hmm, good. It, it, 
because of the acidity. Uh, yes, exactly. Yep, any old evergreens, whether it's cedars or spruce or pine, are naturally exuding, whether it's through their their needles dropping and decomposing or what comes from their roots, they do help acidify that soil. And that is a better, much better spot for rotos than, say, under a maple tree. So, yes, no, your choice is good. Okay, well, that's great. Thanks so much, Charlie. Oh. We really enjoy your show. Wonderful. Thanks for calling. Thank, thank you, Don. And I believe we have time for one more call I here. know. You love to I sneak know in one more. I do, and Richard is on the line from St. Catharines. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. Morning. Good morning. I have a, I have a, uh, an apple tree here. It's a flowering crab, mm-hmm. and I've got a lot of fungus on it, mm-hmm. a lot of black stuff. Yeah. I've been cutting it off, but... Uh, okay, so the black stuff, uh, are you seeing like bump, black bumps in on the stems, branches? Oh, it's, uh, it's pretty black, big blobs of stuff on the limbs, on the uh, branches. I've been cutting the branches off. Okay, so it sounds like, yeah, if you've got real blobs and they tend to be kind of weepy looking too, they, they drip sap, there is a, a disease, it's called black knot, which is a good description because they look like knots, like big bulbous, yeah, yes. tumory looking things on the branches. Yes, indeed, you will need to cut them back. couple of things to keep in mind, though. Where you see evidence of these knots, you need to cut in towards the center of the, the tree at least 18 inches in from the knot, okay? okay? And number two, the saw or whatever tools you're using for your pruning must be sterilized between cuts. So sterilized, whether it's rubbing alcohol or bleach, uh, with a, a little bit of water, just make sure you've got a nice clean saw or pruning shears or, or loppers between cuts. And just like the other callers who we were talking about fungus on, on fruit trees yep. earlier, it's all about dormant spray. So this, think about dormant spraying this fall and next spring to try and control that. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for your call, Thanks, Richard. Richard. And I'm sorry we don't have time for any more calls, but we do have time to thank uh, each and every one of you who are able to get through in the lines. Yes. Uh, some interesting... Uh, I, li- I like that little fact about uh, there being a bee law. I think that's just great. Of course. Got to protect the bees. Yeah. I think it's great. Well, it wasn't it last year we were so worried about the bee population? And it was nice to hear that the one lady had called in yeah. saying lots of bees around. So. Right. Well, that's good. Yeah, exactly. And we're still worried about yeah. the bee population. And actually, now we're going to start worrying about the bat population because oh. they've got a fungus going through the bats as well. So, yes, it's... um, And we rely on these these insects yeah. and not insects, well, bees being insects, mammals, yeah. bats, for pollination, but also for insect control. Yeah. You know, bats we, love mosquitoes. Oh, gosh, yeah. They like their body weight every day in bugs. So if we lose bats, we lose a lot of, of bug control. Well, before we go, Batty, we've got to say goodbye. <laughs> yes. Thanks so much. You're the best sous chef going. Thanks, Dave. And thanks to all our great callers. See you next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.